Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4007 of the Pulitzer Prize-winning newscast, The Bugle, for the week beginning Monday, the 5th of December. To, oh, was it the Pulitzer? I forget, I forget, it just blurs into one. It, it wasn't the Pulitzer, was it? So it was the Bugle Relaunch Award for most Bugle-like relaunched podcast of the last quarter of 2016. Still, silverware is silverware. I am Andy Zaltzman, and I am in London, a city visited by every single one of the past 20 British Prime Ministers, because I like to hang out where it happens. And joining me from New York City, returning for his second Bugle appearance, it's a man who, last time he was on the show, had not, at any point in his life, written, recorded and released a brand new stand-up album as an instantaneous response to a lunatic winning a presidential election within a week of that lunatic winning a presidential election. That is no longer the case. It is Mr. Wyatt Sinak. Hello, Wyatt. Hello, Andy. Thanks for thanks for having me again. So your, uh, your new album, One Angry Night in November, which is uh, available for free download on your website, wyattsenac.com. Uh, uh, yep. That was... Trying to avoid taxes. <laughs> That's a good way of... That's the best way of avoiding taxes. Exactly. To earn zero money or just uh, you know, earn loads of money and do it anyway. Right. Um, I'm trying to figure the second one out, but in the meantime, <laughs> I'll just keep... I'll try to nail the first one. So that, it was... You re- basically recorded it and released it within a, within a week of... Of the the Trumpocalypse, yes. Um, was that was that therapeutic, or um, did it just make everything worse? It was it was somewhat therapeutic for me. I mean, here's the thing: it's not even jokes about the election. It's just <laughs> stories about a cat that I once met. <laughs> <laughs> And then that cat had a lot of thoughts about the election. So I guess in that way, maybe it is about the election, but it's mainly just a bunch of really interesting cat stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a, a good time to release a bunch of cat stories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, how, how, uh, how is the, the intervening, what's well, almost a month now since, uh, uh, since, since the election? How's, how's, how's that, that treated you the month? Yeah, we're into almost a month with this baby that we didn't really want and <laughs> are now stuck having to raise. It's <laughs> it's very weird. It's very, I, I think, it feels as though we're sort of settling into it, but also I think still hoping that maybe something will change or that we'll all get abducted by aliens and they'll fix everything. I think at this right. point that's where we're kind of like, okay, this is this works but also i've seen the trailers for arrival that doesn't seem so bad <laughs> um i mean we've we've been trying to get over our own uh, own own vote from from june nearly 6 months on now yeah. from uh, from brexit and I mean, how is it going for you well uh it's been up and down and um i don't think either side has fully come to terms with what's happened no one seems happy on winners and losers um, I mean, we did. I think the time we started just about coming to terms with it was when the Olympics began, and we had a proper distraction. So maybe you, you just need to. We need an Olympics. You just need to cling on. You need an Olympics. Yeah, we need an Olympics to take the taste out of uh, our mouths. But we're not. I mean, in, we don't have one coming up. Like the best we could do right now is try to pull a Winter Olympics together. But 
Nobody likes that. Nobody. That's not going to bring people together. Oh, yeah. Look at the ice ballet. Nobody wants that. That's not going to that's not going to save us. So, we're just going to have this horrible collective taste of bile in our mouths for I guess I, until yeah, maybe well, we don't care about World Cup, so uh yeah. What else is is there? Maybe there's a track and field competition that we could get really right. excited about. Oh, well, there's the World's World Athletics Championships in London yeah, next I August. Yeah, I think we know so, about those. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. There are certain things that just don't, they don't even come across our, our airwaves. Right. And usually if they have the words London and sports, it's not going to, our filter just blocks it out automatically. <laughs> Well, I'm sure something something will come along. Sport always saves us. Sport is the is the one guaranteed, guaranteed saviour. Yeah. This uh, is Bugle uh, four thousand and seven. Four thousand and seven, of course, the highest recorded number ever used as the count in a game of hide and seek. Uh, that, of course, what the uh, Anglin brothers and Frank Morris told the Alcatraz prison guards to count to back in the 1962 San Francisco Bay hide and seek open championships. Uh, the uh, IHSF afterwards imposed a maximum count of 120 for all competition play. The week beginning Monday the 5th of uh, of December, um, on this day in uh, 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued a papal bull um, appointing inquisitors to root out witchcraft in Germany. And on the exact same day, just 448 years later, the German-born physicist Albert Einstein was given an American visa. Coincidence? I don't think so, somehow. No. He's got the hair of a witch. <laughs> Put a hat on that that's head, just... and that's a, that's a witch, warlock, or wizard. Your pick. Which is also a fun game to play when you're doing a, a witch-burning, witch, warlock, or wizard. Right. That Yeah, and that's... I mean, what, what's, what is the technical difference between a wizard and a warlock? A warlock's a male witch. Right. Uh, so I think, that, I think that is the only difference. Right. Right. But a warlock and a wizard, I think a wizard would tell you it's an Ivy League degree. Right. Yeah. They, they would, I think warlocks go to state schools and wizards <laughs> go to private upper crust institutions. Wizards right. are the, the elite. Yeah, they're the... They're the Harvard elite of spellcasting. Right. So they're basically responsible for Trump winning, uh, winning the election, the resentment against the elite wizardry. Yeah. Oh, I definitely... Disgust me. Yeah, it makes you look at those Harry Potter movies a little differently. <laughs> um, on this day, uh, in 1766, exactly 250 years ago, on Monday, uh, James Christie, the London auctioneer, held his first auction sale and to commemorate this historic occasion we are giving away a free audio top end art auction bid for you to use at a sale of your choice here it is 25 million pounds or dollars the bugle is not responsible for the payment of successful bids any artwork livestock industrial equipment international or indian cricketers or spouses purchased at auction using the bugle audio bid are the sole responsibility of the bidder the use of andy zoltzman's voice in successful bids does not entail a sales contract with mr zoltzman As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, the Vladvent calendar. 
Vent your spleen about 24 different aspects of the behaviour, politics and words of Vladimir Putin. One per day throughout December. We pick it up with this for Monday the 5th of December. Vladimir, I heartily disapprove of your intervention in the Ukraine. I want you to know that. Tuesday the 6th of December. Jeez, Putin, race Syria, can you stop mistaking one of the gravest political and humanitarian crises in human history for your own personal plaything? Thank you, you absolute tool. <laughs> Wednesday the 8th of December. Putin, I'm getting f***ing cross about all the people who keep disappearing after being critical of your regime. Stop it, Vladimir, stop it! Thursday the 9th of December. Ah, oh, for heaven's sake, Putin, just cut out the middleman, grow a big bushy moustache and make people call you Joseph. <laughs> And finally, Friday the 10th of December. Vladimir, you know how your country's GDP fell catastrophically by over 25% due to the global oil price decline? Maybe think about rebalancing your economy. You know the economy you've allowed to become completely dependent on oil. Fuck you, Putin! There'll be more from the Vladvent calendar throughout December. That section in the bin. Top story this week, and, well, let's have a Brexit update. I am here in London, where... Let me just check out of the window. Still smells like Europe for now, but give it a couple of years, and that could all change, which explains why the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has suggested that London could seek out its own Brexit deal. Uh, he said that if the government ignores the needs of business and pushes ahead with a new system that cuts off access to skilled workers, we will have no choice but to look at a London-specific solution. Odd times, we have a Labour mayor threatening a Tory government trying to get a better deal for big business in the City of London. I just don't know who I am anymore. Is it viable that London... I mean, could, could this lead to London just becoming completely independent from the rest of the United... Could London simply swap with Munich or be moved to Gibraltar? Oh, a London secession. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, there is... Well, I think, definitely, after what has happened in our two countries democratically this year, there must surely be the live prospect of a London-New York City hookup to form a floating super city somewhere in mid-Atlantica. Oh, I would like that if, yeah, if they could both sort of break off and maybe we could go somewhere slightly warmer. Right. It's strange that just a year ago... The United Kingdom was worried about Scotland leaving, and now here it is, London, I feel like, trying to backdoor its way out of the United Kingdom. And, yeah, if they in New York and, you know, maybe, like, a few cities like Austin and Portland could kind of come in to sort of buoy this relationship, right. I think we could make a, a, great, a great little nation there. But I mean, Portland, that's a long way for Portland to get, though, from the from the okay. West Coast. I mean, are you, are you thinking Panama Canal? I mean, can you, could you fit can you fit a city down the Panama, or will you have to go right round? I mean, is it going to be through the Northwest Passage? I mean, that could get icy, taking an entire city round that way. Well, I think once the New York-London connection happens, I feel like it's one of those things, like when you hear about a really great party, other cities will find their way to the party. Right. It's not. It's not on us to get everybody a cab to the party. Maybe we call them a cab home, but not to the party. So we're, we're basically looking at London and New York mooring themselves somewhere around about the Azores, halfway across the Atlantic, as, you know, a kind of a beacon of hope for, 
for all humanity. Yeah, a shining city on a hill, I believe someone once said. But in this case, not a hill, just like relatively warm water. <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, it, it is. I mean, it's so bizarre that the the aftermath of Brexit, all the the arguments about it, it's become very much in British politics the elephant in the room. Um, albeit this is an elephant that everybody is talking about all the time, as you would do if there was an elephant in your room, especially if the elephant has crapped all over your best armchair and has now kidnapped the TV remote control, which is grasped firmly in his trunk and is now watching back-to-back episodes of Attenborough's wildlife programmes going, oh, yeah. Um, basically, as, as we've discussed previously on this uh, august news outlet, um, since voting for Brexit, what we've basically been doing here is arguing furiously over what Brexit was, other than, of course, Brexit, which, which it is. is it, are we going to have a hard Brexit, soft Brexit, squidgy but firm Brexit, clean Brexit, dirty Brexit, filthy Brexit, or screaming uncontrollably about immigrants stealing all our biscuits and urinating on our Christmas presents Brexit. We are, we're trying to decide what kind of divorce we want from the continent uh, we used to call home. I don't know if it's going to be a full split with no further contacts, just removing all photographs of us, us with Europe taken down off the walls as if a whole sorry romance had never happened, or a quickie divorce with occasional meetups to rekindle the old trading magic. No longer partners, but still trade buddies, no strings, just for fun and economics, but we're still free to mess around with other trading blocks. Or just a long, slow, gradual breakup, increasingly despondent, leaving deep emotional and economic scars and an inescapable sense that we should have worked harder at the relationship before having a stupid one referendum stand with ourselves. It's, these, are, these are tough times. Tough times. Why? I mean, how's a, I mean, are you excited in America that you, know, this, we, you have this new global-facing Britain? That you know, we could maybe you know rekindle our old national romance. It's here. I think we're we're concerned, but more so because we're looking at you all and hoping that uh, we can sort of forecast what's coming for us. So I think there's a part of it that as you're going through this divorce, we're trying to see. Okay, well, you all set the model for us, and then. If it is some kind of divorce where, oh, there are occasional hookups, okay, we now we now look at that as the blueprint. But right now it seems like you all are going through a divorce where you're still roommates and it's not very it's not going very good as some people start labeling things in the refrigerator that may or may not have been theirs to begin with. <laughs> I had a friend who's uh, at school whose whose parents whose parents divorced, and I'm what they did was they that. just took one end... Well, yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago now. Um, oh, but, I didn't... Uh, I mean, you didn't specify uh, it. <laughs> you, I don't know if you have friends at school was, now. I, I don't <laughs> want to tell you how to live your life. Well, thank you very much, Wyatt. It's very yeah. tolerant of you. And, and, and in a year that's seen so much intolerance, that open-minded attitude can only be a beacon yeah. of hope. Um, but his parents split up and basically took one end of the house each and put a wall really? up in the middle. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then what? And I think there was even a hatch to pass meals through the wall. So and the that... kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's um, kind of great. I, I would hope, though, that when it was time for each one to like go, like, oh, okay, now it's your father's weekend, that they would still make the kid not go through the hatch, but like pack a bag <laughs> and walk out the front door and then walk to the other front door, knock on the door. And just like there still has to be some some sort of formality to it all that I would hope 
would exist. Yeah. Well, I would hope they you know drive him ten miles away to you know a, a service station, yeah. petrol station, and hand hand him over in a forklift. Oh, that'd be there. even better. Um, uh, uh, maybe even share a lift home afterwards. Yeah. Um, David Davis, the Secretary of State for working out exactly what the f*** we voted for, uh, has said that we could now leave the EU and then essentially use the money that we've saved to pay for access to the European single market. Uh, understandably, people who wanted us to not just leave Europe but leave the entire universe uh, not happy with this. The critics have said this is essentially like cancelling your membership of your local boxing club but still turning up every night to let everyone else punch you in the face. <laughs> so, I don't know. We are, we are torn as a nation, Wyatt. We are very, very, very torn. Yeah, you're, uh, you're screwed. <laughs> it's maybe time for you all to take back Australia. Well, I mean, this is definitely one option, is the, the relaunch of the British Empire, because I mean, we do have a pretty impressive track record of just thinking, right, there's not enough going on here. Yeah. Let us go and explore. Yeah. This, this isn't done right. Let's fix it for them. <laughs> Some news just breaking. Uh, in the latest government statement, uh, they've been analysing Brexit. Turns out we've not just voted to leave the EU or the single market or to get rid of anyone from this country who can't trace their bloodline directly back to Bodicea at the very least. But we've also voted to leave UEFA, the governing body of European football, and uh, to join a new football continent, Antarctica. So uh, all the, the uh, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales uh, will be becoming part of the Federation Continental of Football in Antarctica and the islands around Southern Oceanic Longitudes, or to give it its full official acronym, Back off and die, asshole. Uh, you're right, there was no need for that. Anyway, strap in, penguins. You guys are about to get beaten 2-0 at Wembley in a disappointingly turgid encounter. Brexit, not the only uh, meaty economic issue uh, in Britain this week. It turns out the new £5 notes launched to uh, much fanfare earlier in the year because it enabled you to... Forget about the money in your pockets of your trousers and put them through the wash and not have to worry about it. It turns out these £5 notes are not suitable for vegetarians because they have some animal fat in them. Um, the plastic polymer the notes are made from contains small amounts of tallow, which is derived from uh, animal waste products uh, from the processing of uh, animal corpses. And people are not happy, Wyatt. I mean, our vegans in particular are up in arms because they can no longer snort cocaine up our five-pound notes. These are dark days for this divided country. Yeah, if you're not a meat eater, you're definitely not a meat sniffer. <laughs> the Vice website calculated the total amount of tallow used in all the banknotes would require the collected corpses of not 1,000 or 1 million dead cows, but 0 0.5 dead cows. Uh... There's not a lot of meat in these banknotes. Um, so I think, I mean, understandably, some people are, are not happy. I mean, I guess the problem is what kind of precedent does uh, does it set? What if the uh, Bank of England have been... Uh, actually saw those a small amount of beef. They've, uh, they've been slaughtering one animal per note so that each banknote has its own unique DNA fingerprint to help combat fraud. 
uh, what if we let this pass and we've got a new £10 note coming out next year and I think well people didn't mind the tallow slathered all over the last year's fivers like butter on a big bastard's breakfast bap why don't we staple an endangered butterfly to every single tenner just to get the conversation started what what, what happens if £20 notes are withdrawn from circulation and replaced with rashes of bacon what then people do not think about the implications of these apparently trivial issues I mean, this does feel like it's sending you on a soylent green path. First year economy is sort of in the shitter post Brexit, and now that's a technical economic term. I think it. It's. I I went to Wharton. <laughs> I didn't actually like um, attend classes. I just went. Um, <laughs> but I, I think once that starts, yeah, this is. I feel like putting a little bit of meat product in your money, it's going to save, there's not going to be a need for bread lines. Your, your ATM machines just become your automated bread lines where people will just go and they'll pull out a five and then they'll just eat it directly. <laughs> I've, I've eaten in London. I don't, I, you gave us, you just gave us a Wagamama uh, here. <laughs> and let me say, I've been to Wagamama before. I'd eat a five-pound banknote over another bowl of soup at Wagamama. <laughs> First, you all have your sort of isolationist Brexit thing happening. That spreads to us. Now you give us Wagamama. What is next? What, will, uh, what else will you curse us with? Well, um, cricket, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, we, we had one go at that a while ago, and you... You rejected it. I mean, that, that could be that could be America's salvation in the Trump era. If if, if Trump learns to play cricket, that could civilize the man. Oh, that I would actually I would love if every televised speech he gave, instead of giving a speech, it was just him learning to play cricket. Just me and Nigel Farage are gonna play cricket, but I gotta learn how to play it first. Well, Farage is a big cricket fan, so maybe this explains why he's been sent as our unofficial man in Washington. Yeah. It, it is a cricket-based scheme. It all makes sense. Yeah. Um, the uses of tallow through history are quite interesting. It's been used in candles, uh, soldering, engine lubrication, even aviation fuels. The uh, US Air Force, they were using a, a jet which was part powered by tallow, apparently. Oh, right, the meat plane. The yeah. <laughs> famous meat plane. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if... I mean, if you're a... Could you, can you be a vegan fighter pilot? Presumably you have to be prepared to, to kill, kill some things if you're, a, if you're a fighter pilot, so a bit of, a bit of meat in your aeroplane fuel isn't going isn't gonna to upset you. Unless you're a fighter pilot who's vegan, who's just going to possibly shame your enemies. You're not, right. not going to actually not, shoot them. You'll just fly by and look at them sternly and like, hold up some photos. Uh, <laughs> You're that kind of fighter pilot. Are, are, there, are there many of them in the U.S. Air Force at the moment? Not as many as you'd think. It's, it's, uh, right. Yeah, they don't go far. They, after their first mission where they come back and they say, well, I didn't have any confirmed kills, but I really made a lot of people think about what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a bizarre story, this. It's one of these things that seems simultaneously a massive overreaction and entirely justified on... You know, religious or ethical grounds, and it is amazing that no one thought, "Oh, some people not a bit uncomfortable with using particles of dead stuff when they're not really necessary these days." Particularly given that we are Britain, and there is a precedent historically for people getting annoyed by tallow. In the 1857 Indian Mutiny, uh, apparently um, 
Hindus were disgusted by the use of tallow in uh, cartridges for guns, and that sparked this uh, massive, uh, massive mutiny. It basically, basically provoked a war. So um, maybe historically we should have uh, we should have known that. But if there is one thing we have as a nation, it is the ability to completely forget bad things we've done in the past. That is one of our defining features. This all, this also may be your passive-aggressive way to try to combat immigration and also vegans and sort of what many might consider liberal elites is that, oh, okay, if you put meat in your in your money, then all of a sudden, okay, you get rid of anybody who has a problem with that. If you if you don't like it, then get out of the country. <laughs> All the red meat Brits will have their meat money to themselves. Well, that's I mean that that could work more effectively than most of the other attempts our government has made to uh, to stop immigration, which basically involve looking cross and uh, putting up an extra set of cliffs at Dover. Interestingly, Scottish banknotes are okay, apparently. The Scottish notes do not consider tallow, partly because tallow there is... Uh, they don't waste it on banknotes. It's considered a culinary delicacy <laughs> in Scotland. Um, yeah. It's byproducts of rendering animal corpses. The perfect accompaniment to other Scottish uh, culinary delicacies, such as mashed-up rat lung, Socky Hall Street vomit <laughs> scrapings, no Glaswegian night out is complete without a packet of those beauties, and deep-fried fossil anuses. So um, there's, a, there's a reason for that. Do they still put toenails into a sheep's stomach and serve that as a as a as a children's dish? <laughs> yeah, that's what makes us grow up tough as a nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Scots I think are the most in, they're probably the most inventive culinary nation yeah. in history just because they look at things that no one else would think of putting in their mouths. Yeah. And think, well, give it a go. I think got to admire that. I think the phrase one man's trash is another man's dinner is a Scottish phrase. <laughs> Just on Donald Trump, uh, apparently last year he only followed 47 people on Twitter and one of them was former Australian cricketer Damien Martin. <laughs> oh, it- How did you find that out, Chris? I just Googled Donald Trump cricket and that was the first result. He followed Damien Martin on Twitter. Good cricketer. Very elegant batsman. Yeah. yeah. Class batsman. Uh, Damien Martin uh, commented that he didn't know why. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, here's um, here's the other thing. There was a there's a really great documentary uh, called Small Potatoes: Who Killed the USFL, which uh, was the United States Football League, and the answer is Donald Trump. And it's this documentary about how he wanted an NFL team so badly that he bought a USFL team, and then put the USFL into direct competition with the NFL in the hopes that he could then sue the NFL for being a monopoly because at the time they were the only uh, football league on television on like all the major networks. In, and so he did this in the process, killed the USFL, but was hoping he could sue his way into the NFL and instead the case he was right but he was awarded one dollar because <laughs> yeah he was awarded one dollar because they, win. They, they were like we saw what you did and what you did was basically ruin one business so that you could try to get something for yourself 
which should have been a warning about what a Trump presidency is going to be like. <laughs> but maybe this whole thing has still just been a really long game to get rid of football and replace it with cricket. <laughs> well, that brings us on to this week's trumpet section. Well, it's not just uh, Britain that's uh, refusing to accept an election results. Uh, they've the recounts imminent in uh, in America, and Donald Trump has claimed uh, that there has been voter fraud. Now, it's not often you get the winner in an election claiming there's been fraud. Right, yeah. I mean, this this is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it feels as though even the winners at this point don't want the result. Like he's saying, yeah, he. He thinks that he should have won the popular vote. And then you have Jill Stein on the other side asking for recounts to possibly see that maybe Hillary Clinton won the electoral college or won more, won more states than she did. And at this point, it feels as though maybe we could broker some sort of negotiation where Donald Trump is willing to trade some of his electoral college votes for a popular vote win, which might solve all our problems. Uh, is it not Jill Stein thinking that, you know, thinking, well, I can't have only got 1% of the vote or whatever she got. I want to recount. I reckon I've got at least 60. Yeah. I've, I mean, could we be looking at a Jill Stein presidency if this, you know, if, this, if, if, if she's right? I think at this point... Anybody, even if a even if a if a zoo animal were to somehow get enough electoral college votes, if the ghost of that dead gorilla Harambe were to somehow pull out a win, I think people would be much happier with that than what's going on right now. When you have both winners and losers freaking out, it feels as though oh, okay, yeah, this is maybe we should maybe just restart this whole game. Let's just. Let's just have one more year of Obama, and why don't we just restart this election process all over again? Because nobody seems that happy with what's happened. There is something I will say that as an American, this feels like one of those similar things when you were a child and somebody told you for the first time in your life that Santa Claus wasn't real, and you go crying home to your parents, and they're like, no, no, Santa's real, and then they write you like a really shitty letter that they sort of <laughs> that they give that they give to you from Santa but it's on family letterhead so you're like well it sort of works but this this says it's it's from the smiths and we're the smiths <laughs> what what you've just you've just ruined christmas for at least 20% of our listeners who are still clinging to <laughs> clinging to hope that Jill to... Stein might save christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that, yeah. that too. Trumpety, um, Trump, Trump, Trumpety, Trump, Trump. Look at Jill Stein go. <laughs> uh, the latest Trump appointments to the Trump cabinet uh, been interesting. He uh, seems to be basically going after the hyper-wealthy elites that his voters wanted him to take down by punishing these hyper-wealthy elites with the ultimate punishments, forcing them to serve in his cabinet. That uh, will teach them. But one exception to the multi-millionaire capitalists who will be tasked with bringing multi-millionaire capitalists to heel under the instructions of a multi-millionaire capitalist is the incoming defence secretary... Uh, d sorry, defence. Is it de defence or defence? 
it's if it's uh, if your if your team is down, it's defense. But if right. you're doing well, defense. Okay, so I mean, I don't know how Trump. Mm. I mean, that could change midway through his presidency. I think he has appointed James Mad Dog Mattis. Well, I mean, that is a, a worrying nickname for uh, a defense uh, secretary, uh, a, a widely admired um, a military figure. Uh, but being Donald Trump's defense secretary, that he could be very, very busy indeed. That that could be. I'm not sure 24-7-365 could be enough to be the Trump defense secretary. Um, he said uh, he's got an interesting, interestingly contradictory nicknames. Mad Dog is one, but also he's known as the Warrior Monk. I mean, how, how do those two fit together? A Mad Dog and a, and a and a monk. Well, and not just a monk, a warrior monk. Like, uh, yeah, like I've always assumed monks to be very peaceful people, and he's that would suggest that he's aggressively peaceful like <laughs> we want quiet in here and i will choke everyone in this room to get it <laughs> namaste <laughs> that does square with some of the things he said uh, some quotes from uh, from uh, mad dog mattis uh, this be polite be professional but have a plan to kill everybody you meet <laughs> <laughs> that's that's when you um, walk into a restaurant that's what you got to do <laughs> Job interview, restaurant, (laughs) anything. Be polite, be professional, but also have a plan to kill everybody. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm sure there was a context that explained that, but out of context, it's much more entertaining. Um, I think the I think the context was speed dating. He was appointed because Donald Trump's preferred candidate was unavailable. That was Hannibal Smith from the A-Team, who could not take up the post due to fictitiousness. Uh, That is despite prolonged negotiations with the agent of actor George Peppard, who played Smith in the hit 1980s uh, TV series, but sadly died more than 20 years ago. Yeah, that's a shame. See, I always always assumed Trump was a howling mad Murdoch kind of guy. (laughs) Well, I think he's got him him lined up to be... uh... He'll be Joint Chiefs of Staff or something. Yeah, you'd expect that. Yeah, he'll find a place for for Murdoch, unquestionably. Yeah, <laughs> and he's gonna treat the rest of us like B. A. Baracus and slip <laughs> us a Mickey in our milk, <laughs> so he can do whatever he wants. We'll just wake up on a plane, just confused, knowing that we hate being on planes. No, Andy. You were talking about your financial problems in the UK and here in the United States and in the city of New York, we've got some financial issues of our own. There was a man just this, this past week who was in New York City who was walking by an armored truck, saw a bucket on the back of the armored truck, looked at the bucket for a while, then took the bucket and walked down the street and found out that the bucket was filled with gold flakes. <laughs> a five-gallon bucket filled with over $1 million in gold flakes, which uh, raises the question, who needs that many gold flakes? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing with that many gold flakes? It's, I mean, it's obvious that those gold flakes are probably going to Donald Trump as some sort of post-election celebratory cereal that he may eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything he touches turns to gold, whether it's 
by physically painting it gold, or by eating something and shitting all over it so it's not covered <laughs> in gold. He has a mantra he lives by, and we have to respect it. I mean, another question that arises is, I mean, it's already well having, you know, what, was it $1.6 million worth of gold in the back of a security truck? I mean, the, the guy working the security truck, I guess, has a few questions to answer about leaving a bucket full of gold unattended. But how did the gold get get into the bucket? Who had a pile of $1.6 million worth of gold flakes and thought what possible receptacle would be the most appropriate for this to be transported and then came up with the answer, a f***ing bucket? Yeah. How did that happen, Work. What has happened to your country that people can put $1.6 million of gold in a bucket yeah. and think that that is acceptable? It says something about the perhaps the declining value of gold that we don't trust gold as as we no longer want to live by a gold standard anymore that it's good enough for a bucket buckets <laughs> are where fried chicken go they're where paint go they're things you put on your head when you're having a toga party it's <laughs> really <laughs> yeah we do things a little differently here <laughs> i don't know how your toga parties go but Ours, if there's not a bucket on somebody's head, then it's not a toga party. <laughs> I mean, that's how the ancient Romans used to wear it, wasn't it? Exactly. Toga in a bucket. Yeah. yeah. That's its bucket is derived from the <laughs> Roman word party hat. <laughs> oh, yes. um, Thanks very much for that info. Yeah. The other, part of, the other part of the story that I find interesting, though, is there's video of the guy, and you see him walk past and notice the bucket, and he stares at the bucket for a while, and he does a few passes where it seems like he's scoping out the bucket. I don't think he knew what was in the bucket. I think he may have just thought, you know what? I could use a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, his, his spouse maybe said, hey, we need to mop the kitchen floor. Go out and get a bucket. And he was on the way home, remembered, bucket, right. I forgot the bucket. <laughs> Oh, wait, there's a bucket. Mm, should I take that bucket? Mm, okay, I'll take that bucket. And then took a bucket, took it home, mopped the floors, and now the floors are worth $1.6 million. <laughs> <laughs> In other news, former Cuban leader Fidel Castro has uh, has finally died. Um having beaten what Cuban officials claim were more than 600 attempts to assassinate him, um, by, mostly by America's CIA. Um, I mean, those are mostly dating back to the years when Wiley Coyote was acting director of the CIA and was trying to take out Castro with giant magnets, Acme earthquake pellets, and CIA agents strapping themselves to giant fireworks and firing themselves out of cannons. It's extraordinary. I think I read well, six, there was a documentary called 638 Ways to Kill Castro. So I think there's even over over six. Did, did, did you ever attempt to kill Fidel Castro, Wyatt? I mean, I assume most Americans must have had a crack at it at some point. Inadvertently, I did. I, right. I, yeah, inadvertently, I, as a child, I sent a letter <laughs> to Cuba and didn't realize that the crayons I was writing my note to Fidel Castro that the crayons were laced with arsenic. Oh, right. Yeah. Easy mistake to make. Yeah, it was a school thing. They had the school 
draw pictures and write letters to Castro. And yeah, the CIA had uh, laced all of the crayons with arsenic. We only <laughs> found out after six of the children died. <laughs> Some kids just love to eat crayons. Well, they, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, I mean they, they're quite good for you, actually, I think. Eat a bit of, uh, bit of crayon every now and again, balanced diet. Not with arsenic, they're not. <laughs> no, no, I accept that. Arsenic, yeah. I mean, as, as a parent, I've learned the hard way <laughs> how dangerous it is to feed arsenic to children. Your emails now, and uh, this came in from Dave Berkovich in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is a good name for a town. Um, said, Dear, hello, Andy. Can the Bugle financial section provide some good, solid advice on quality investments? in a world where it will soon be illegal to sleep more than 20 miles or 100 kilometres in the UK from the place of your birth. Uh, so, I mean, well, we, we talked about gold in buckets, Wyatt. Are there any, I mean, you're a, a financial expert, obviously. Um, I, what, I mean, is there any, any, any advice you can dispense to our listeners? Well, as I said, I've, I've been to Warden, and I would say, at this point, your best investment is a canoe, I think. <laughs> Canoes are great investments. Because whether on land or on sea, you can sleep in it, you can move it around, and if worse comes to worse, you can use it to fend off a bear attack. <laughs> the whole bottom edge of it is all, it's, uh, it's all sharp, like an ice skate. That is the kind of wisdom that we have you on the show for, Wyatt. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much for that. Um, and I it, went to it, 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 It's an economic fact that canoes historically, have never depreciated in, in value. There has never been a canoeing company whose shares have declined. That, exactly. that, is, that, is, that is a fact. Yeah. Um, and just quickly before we wrap up this week's show, uh, this came in from Jeff. Uh, Dear Andy, just checking to see that the email address has not yet stopped working. Uh, and it hasn't. And that email address is hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com. Uh, uh, so we'll have more of your emails uh, next uh, next week. That brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Thank you uh, very much for listening. We'll be back next week with Mr. Nish Kumar, returning from, from exciting globetrotting expeditions. He was just about to go to Mongolia last time he was on the show, wasn't he? So uh, we'll see how uh, Mongolia um, treated him. I hope he's brought us um, I don't know, an elk or something back as a souvenir. Mongolia may be the place where we all go to after our countries fall apart. Well, there's a lot of space in Mongolia. It is one of the least densely populated countries in the world um, yeah. ever since... Uh, um, well, I don't know. <laughs> they basically inv- invaded Europe about 700 years ago, didn't they? Chris, you're, you're an on-site historian. I, it wasn't 700 years ago, was it? I don't know. Time flies these days. <laughs> um, it sounds like they anyway, might be we'll a be blueprint back. for our futures. <laughs> we'll be back next week uh, with that. In the meantime, don't forget to book your tickets for my uh, Soho Theatre run from the 20th of December. On the Soho Theatre website, I'll tweet. Uh, I'll tweet a link to it as well. Are you telling me to do that, or are you telling them to do that? Oh yeah, yeah. You are what? I, I will even. I, I could even get you at least a two pound discount on a ticket. But just and that's me. That's the kind of guy I am. Just, just you, yeah. All right. I like crony. I've, I've got to earn a living, mate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't forget. You can uh, download Wyatt's uh, new album, One Angry Night in November, on his uh, website. Anything else you'd like to? Uh, you'd like to plug? Your show at the Soho Theatre. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs> you should go check it out. You actually, Andy, you should check it out, partly because you're in it. I'm in it. I, I should write it first, and well, then I'll check it out. 
So uh, anyway, 23rd December. You could wing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could wing it. Anyway, Buglers, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. And Wyatt will be back with us uh, after New Year, hopefully. Yes. Uh, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. The Bugle is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, made possible with great support from our founding sponsors, the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos and teamwork. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.